this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, speaking of our union, we have a returning union member joining us for this episode. You might remember him from such previous episodes as Hank Dogs. And a little record, few people might have heard of it, Neutral Milk Hotel. That's a that's one that some people are familiar with. Um, Eric Norlander, welcome back to the show. Hey guys, thank you very much. You can't thank wave. This is back. this is on video and audio only. There's no, or or, or this is our vi- audio for the most people. Only like ten people actually watch the video. So you gotta you gotta use full words here. Hey, if you become a patron, though, you can see Eric Wave and you right. can see his yeah. awesome shirt, yeah. which we're yeah. not going to tell you about. You're not going to tell you what the shirt says because it's awesome. How how are you, Eric? Sorry. Are you staying cool? So sorry, sorry for my good manners interrupting the flow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get down to brass tacks, as they say. I don't know what brass tacks are exactly, but I've just heard that phrase before. Uh, what is the album you picked for... 2021 i picked uh the self-titled album hash by the band hash of of which i own i own two copies because every time i see it come up for grabs i buy it so i can give it to somebody because i really enjoy this album and i'm sure we'll talk about how somewhat obscure it seems to be um but yeah every time i see it come up i buy it and i gift it to somebody very nice yes i would say this is um, a hard to find record. Uh, Jay, you were not familiar with this, were you? No. And they, they also, uh, you know, this is pre Google. So they pick a name that is <laughs> irrelevant when he, we Googling and they pick an album title that's irrelevant when Googling. Right. So yeah, it's impossible to find. There's like and nine artists just do live recently. So I'm sorry to add to that. Yes. Yes, exactly. There's like nine different hashes on, on Spotify. And then you get like, hash plus another name so it's like it's it's impossible mm-hmm. to find. but don't worry they're not on spotify uh nor are they on a, <laughs> on anything resembling a streaming service uh you could go to youtube i had to assemble a playlist out of tracks available on youtube in order to listen um and my computer for some reason doesn't like youtube it like freezes constantly so i had to like rip them then finally <laughs> just using an illegal oh, wow. uh, ripping method yeah it got i got real desperate let's put it that way um so how did you discover this band eric you probably could have uh, asked <laughs> eric for one of those copies <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's sitting on a whole cache there <laughs> yeah they, he's got all the copies before we go any further i need to welcome a new member to the union emma wilson just joined us congratulations emma on finding the nerdiest uh 90s rock podcast community uh on the planet and uh feel free to join the nerdiest us bunch just, of nerds yes the there nerdiest nerds. bunch of nerds who ever nerd 
And these and this is the the um the creme de la creme of nerddom. <laughs> <laughs> the nerd to the nerd. Uh, uh so this was the question I was going to ask Eric before I was so rudely interrupted by the internet and it's failing uh, <laughs> Wi-Fi. Uh, how did you discover hash? Yeah, I, I was trying to trying to remember. I mean, there's I, I couldn't find an official video for any of the songs that would have been something I would have stumbled across. I know that the song that I heard, um, like I think most people, was Twilight Fall. That was the single, I'm pretty sure. But I don't know where I heard it. Um, I'm sure on some sort of compilation of, of some sort. Um, I'm sure if you research the history of the band at all, there's a connection to the band White Trash, of which I, I had that album and I liked that band. So maybe through, I don't know, just through hearing where some of those guys then went, I heard about this band. But uh, unlike the other times I've been with you guys, I don't I've never seen the band live. I don't own a t-shirt. I don't, I have no connection other than, other than this record, which, you know, was a one and done. And, um, and I, and I love it. And, uh, but yeah, I, I know I heard Twilight Ball and and that's about it. You know, from there I was, I, I got the album and, I, and I've never really, um, you know, forgotten it, even though it, it's gone nowhere. And it's like you said, very hard to find online. So if you if you um, Google hash self-titled album 1993, you come across one blog post by a, on, a, on a website called stallionalert.com from 2009. <laughs> and they rev- and they talk about this record. And one of the band members chimes in in the comments. Apparently, at some point they were in a this was called 417. I don't know if that was the area code that the band was in or, or what have you. Um, but he said, uh, I played guitar in 497 with Seth, Eric and Mike and wrote most of the music for kit and caboodle, as well as I forgot my blanket, including the intro solo for kit and caboodle though, without a sitar, the song titles were substance, (laughs) substance induced knee jerk utterances by me. Seth wrote the lyrics and we worked together to infuse the melodies he had devised into the music I had mostly written. This was 1988. So they started working on this music five years before the record came out, which I thought was interesting. And he's talking about, in terms of um, band members, the uh, the band was made up of... Oh, let me go. Or you maybe you want to read it off the CD since you have it. I mean, I can go I can go to uh, Discogs. Yeah, um, well, Seth Abelson was the lead singer and guitar player. Um, it's mostly lyrics. I'm trying to even find where they list the band names. It's a crazy font. Uh, oh, here we go. Um, Seth Abelson, vocals and guitar. Aaron Collins, bass and piano. Mike uh, Calder- Calderella, drums. So the three-piece. Right. Um, I, I think... So I found a couple of things online myself. Um, the, the 417, I, I, I found that same uh, write-up that you did where, where the person chimed in. Um, interestingly enough, there's video on YouTube of 417 after Hash playing a Metallica show that they did yes. for their fan club, right? You found that too at, yeah. at I think, Bowery Ballroom in, in New York. Yeah, so I guess 417 reconstituted, and there's actually a SoundCloud page for 417 and a Facebook page, but with so little information that I'm not even sure if Seth is still in the band at this point. 
And this was this was not like an obscure. I mean, this is obscure in terms of like not many people have heard it, but this was on Electra. Like, yeah, this was on a major label. This was a label that put out the Pixies just three years earlier. Um, They had credibility as a, as a label, as an indie, a place where indie bands would go and they would get support. And this was on, I looked at their Discogs page and they, they were on some compilations, but they were mostly like industry compilations. Um, the Warner music sampler, they were on an, um, there when in the nineties, maybe the eighties too, there was CMJ was the college music journal every month. Uh, there would be a new CD and, and, um, and magazine that would go out and radio stations, college radio stations would get it. There was also one called um, FMQB, which was the FM quarterback. Uh, it was like a parallel to for FM stations. And um, they were on one of their compilations, um, the Friday morning quarterback uh, compilations. And then they were on a compilation called... Um, mcgathy metal volume 293 the opening track on that is caius odysseys the second track is hash twilight ball followed by warrior soul danzig paw bad brains the big f melvin's bark market 700 miles the almighty degeneration and scorpions oh you gotta yeah. love the 90s <laughs> what a compilation what, what year was that Tim? 1993 yeah. I mean, that is so 93. That is the, you had this, yes, obviously alter, alternative music and grunge blowing up, but then you had this, I think where this band falls of like, you know, really technical, talented musicians, like exploring other things, not fitting in any sort of genre very well. I mean, the almighty, you went through the big F, like all those bands you just went through, like right. probably half of those fall in that category of like, one foot in the eighties and then, then trying to figure out like, am I, you know, where's the nineties going and is this the next thing? Right. They did put out two singles, one for twilight ball and one for, I forgot my blanket. Um, and then there was, um, promo EPs that went out to radio stations for American chorus and, um, one called bash which had Twilight Ball, I Forgot My Blanket, 4.30 AM Hikes, Marijuana, and American Chorus. Those were just basically like pre-release you know, pre promo type things that, that went out. Um, so I want to get to the comments over at uh, Patreon because a lot of people were hearing this for the full, first time. Um, Steven Musinski said, when I can't find the album on Soul Seek, that's when I know we're digging deep. <laughs> i say that with adoration that's why i love yeah. the show i'm always down to dig what i do not love is the poor audio quality of the youtube stream it's just bad but i persevered my way through the entire album and what a strange journey it was i feel like this band leaves no stone unturned as they shamelessly and confidently jump from style to style with solid performances to back it up having said that i don't think a lot of necessarily works for me my gut reaction is it lacks focus and cohesion, which is usually usually something I tend to want out of an album. Yes, I was pretty entertained much the entire time. I don't know. I would need another listen or two to definitively decide. So I shall recuse myself from the poll because I just can't do the YouTube stream again. If anyone wants to send me a respectable rip of this thing, I would happily accept, <laughs> which I believe Mr. Whitney Beeler 
did because I've had he said I've had this album since it was released in 93. Whitney Beeler. Nice. I've always been it's always been a curiosity in my collection because Hash was one of those one and done bands. I heard Twilight Ball on the radio one day and loved it. I don't think I've ever heard it played again. Here are the songs I put on my EP. Twilight Ball, Mr. Hello, Mary I Wanna, Traveling, I'm Down, and American Chorus. Okay. So a a fellow hash admirer. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Bittner. I instantly recognized the cover and name, and I'm pretty sure I own this album at some point, but listening to it didn't jog my memory. Overall, it was a fun album showcasing a band that could not quite get their style down. It had some fun pop punk elements some slower funky grooves and a general straightforward alt rock approach i it did lag a bit at times and the vocals got redundant but overall i enjoyed it best two tracks for me were 4 30 a.m hikes as the bass propelled the slower tempo forward and i forgot my blanket which had a pretty decent guitar solo better ep for me uh willie dylan this seems like a set of songs by some cable musicians but it doesn't quite do it for me i don't love the vocals and the music doesn't quite catch me it may just be one of those bands you have to listen to a number of times to get the intricacies of it jeff gentis i only had time for two listens and so i do not feel qualified to vote i love that people are taking themselves out of the voting (laughs) process because like i'm just not well informed enough like if we could apply this to the whole country much better off i'm just saying dear america be more like jeff gentis yeah look at what jeff and steve were like look man I know that I know that wind and solar are really important, but I don't know how they're going to impact the environment. So I need to do a little more research on renewables and maybe we could talk about uh, hydroelectric and uh, some other options. Just more of us could say I'm out of my element. I don't don't know. Exactly. It's okay to say a better EP at this point. so Jeff said, uh, he didn't feel quality fo- qualified to vote, but as a first impression, they sound a bit like driving and crying, albeit with fewer hooks, mm. or the album tracks on Howlin' Rain's releases. I don't know Howlin' Rain. Um, and Steve said, after he got a, a rip of the album from Whitney, he said, I was able to give this album another proper spin, sans the 120 dial-up quality of the YouTube rip. <laughs> which also known as most of my MP3 collection. Um, I'm voting for better EP, but that EP is a pretty good time. And it looks like this. Mr. Hello, In the Grass, Mary Iwana, Orchard Moons, Traveling, I'm Down, Kit Caboodle. I'm a late bloomer of a pothead. So me listening to this in my late 30s and giggling at all the weed references is hilarious, akin to what I would imagine I would have felt to find this album as a teenager in the early 90s. Well, congratulations, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen's out in Cali, so he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. So it's all legal out there. Well, I'm not really hearing anything bad. That's good. Well, I think what is interesting is that when people mentioned what songs, there was some um, crossover, but like the albums or the songs that Kyle Bittner liked were much different than the ones that Stephen Musinski liked. And Stephen had some similarities with Whitney, but not entirely. So they did cover quite a bit of the album between the um, the songs mentioned. Yeah. So we don't really have any history to do with this band because there's uh, one album. Uh, apparently they didn't do any advertising or anything for it. Uh, they didn't send it out for any reviews because there's no reviews on. I couldn't find like an archive on Spin or Rolling Stone or or any of those things. So uh, let's just get into it. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Hash by Hash. 
it was mentioned this band has a lot of um shades to it a lot of a lot of variety um they explore a lot of different styles um they also explore some different sounds i like as this band settles down a little bit and the tempos drop and they explore you know piano and they bring in some i think what is sitar at least guitar that sounds like sitar and they let the vocal have a little more room um as opposed to we'll get in later you know the other side of this band is very active um and more funk i guess oriented um i i also like they they can pull off a boogie vibe pretty well which i appreciate so a song like in the grass you know it just got that like early 70s you know um kind of boogie feel to it which i which i dig and i think they you know it takes a lot of technical skill to pull that off well and i think they do a good job in that in that sound as well There's some interesting things going on melodically. Um, I hear some, you know, little Beatles here and there. I hear some harmonies. Uh, it's interesting the the vocal tone. It can be, I think, driving and crying is a good good call out. It can get into the blind melon territory too. It it can get that high. Um, so, I think you know vocally it, it can be successful. Um, maybe not always consistently, but there's definitely something there. Um, and, you know, technically, and this band sounds very capable. Um, it sounds like, you know, everybody's a great player. They play around with a lot of accents and, you know, time shifts and, um, but they'll also experiment, you know, with effects, flanges and phasers and, um, that sort of thing. So I like when they combine those two things together, you know, they get a little trippier, maybe even bring in some folk or elements or, you know, turn the tempo down and then the, let the musicianship, you know, speak, you know, speak, but not take over, um, over the song. So that's, that, that's some of the stuff I heard. This reminds me of, all, like I mentioned, some of the things you, you rattled off on that comp, CD Tim, this this feels like a classic dollar bin find to me. Like I have a you know rows of CDs that I pulled out of dollar bins that are kind of like this band um, that are just weird. <laughs> uh, a couple of names that come to mind like King of Kings and um, I think one of the bands called The Beautiful and Neverland and like some of these bands we reviewed or they've been on the docket to like, for me personally, like, Oh, I wonder if we'll ever get to this, but just this stash of, you know, CDs where, uh, you know, they're a buck you flip through, you're like, wow, this came out of lecture. Okay. I mean, the name's kind of interesting. The cover's cool. I wonder what this is like. And then you listen to it. You're like, this is so weird. <laughs> um, I think this is 
you know, right in that, in that vein. I, I get why it wasn't, you know, bigger. I get why probably Electra was understood the promise that there's potential here and then got the record. We're like, we don't know what to do with this. <laughs> um, so it just feels like a, a classic dollar bin find to me. Yeah, I completely agree. This record, it from basically from the from just the very beginning of, of the first song all the way through is just a wild ride of, oh, we we're we're going to do a, an Eastern inspired sitar song, and oh, why don't we throw some thrash in here? And also, hey, uh, you know, we, we're capable musicians. Let's do some Chili Pepper funk. And let's also do some like living color esque shredding. And oh, by the way, um, we can also write some really tight melodies with harmonies and stack them up. Like you know, Beatles is an obvious one, but like there's, I mean, it's really poppy in places. But they're moving so fast through some of these songs, even though I mean it's a long record, and some of these songs are quite long. But they they move from part to part quickly, and it's. It's a really interesting record in that sense. And I think um, I have been known to bash on the Chili Peppers. Uh, my dislike from them is is known. But it's not really based on the music. I, I mean, I enjoy funk as, you know, a, a, a style of music. I've always it's more become a problem with Anthony Kiedis's vocals than anything and is in the fact that he's singing out a key the entire time uh, yeah i was gonna say it's his, his inability to sing right <laughs> just like trying i didn't mind that on blood sugar sex magic but when they became like a pop right. band because it wasn't trying it, right exactly and it was goofy it wasn't and, yeah you know this is a band that's essentially in in certain respects on certain songs is doing like on ghetto is that could be a chili pepper song but with a much better vocal on top of it. And that was eye-opening for me because so many bands have tried to do funk or combine, not not hip-hop necessarily, but I'm thinking of like 311 in, in another way where like, yes, they're they're funky, and they're, but they're also combining with like a hip-hop sensibility, but with really grating instrumentation. And like, I don't like the guitar tones that they're using. We've We've talked about the snare sound. I don't care for like Nick Hexum has a fine voice, but I don't like it when the other guy's like rapping. Like, and I don't, it's not that I don't like hip hop. It's just, I don't yeah. like that guy doing what he's doing. Yeah. Um, what it has, this is an aside, but it's made me realize that I actually kind of do like that. Some 41 single that I absolutely hated when it first came out. I don't remember what, I can't remember what that song is called, but I recently heard it on the radio and I go, Oh, this isn't that bad for a couple of <laughs> for some Canadian kids in 2001 or whatever it was or 2000. Like it's got I like that they took up a you know combined the Beastie Boys with Blink 182. That kind of that 
that sort of youthful exuberance. But learning that this record and these songs were worked on for a number of years makes sense to me because there is so much going on in this record. I can't imagine you could just go into the studio and, and pound this out and like, you know, have half baked ideas and then figure them out. Like this sounds, these sound like guys who have been playing together that have been working on these songs because they come across as like really confident and really um, knowledgeable about different styles in a way that it would be hard to pull off if you had, if you had no history together. And the fact that they were, you know, there was a mention of the band. I, I haven't heard the band white trash, so I don't know if, what they sound like in comparison to this. Um, but there's definitely like a skill level here that is a little bit different than some of the quote unquote alternative bands of the early nineties that, that sounded a little rougher and raw in, in some respects. So there was, there was quite a bit that I actually liked about this. Um, so what works best for you, Eric, on this record? Um, well, I mean, I, I just want to say, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. To me, it's a very, it's like, it's one of, for me, one of the quintessential 90s type albums. You know, it's, it's not one of my favorite albums, but I always think of this album when I think of that early 90s, very weird period coming out of, you know, uh, 80s metal, trying to figure out if you were going to go alternative, trying to figure out, oh, like you got, like you guys were saying, let's throw in some funk, let's throw in, you know, some progressive uh, shredding, let's throw in some jam band uh, moments. And, and I think that's what had always appealed to me about it because probably at that time in my life, I was expanding my palette to, to really enjoy bands of many different genres. And so in that time period, again, I was a fan of Driving and Crying. I was a fan of Blind Melon. I really liked those first two 311 albums, you know, which I think I saw Corn open for 311. That's how weird the early <laughs> 90s were. You know, because everything was just kind of, you know, Saigon kick. And, and I just wrote down a bunch of names of these bands that, you know, um, were all trying to figure out how to how to do what they were doing, fit into the pocket of what the 90s was starting to shape up to be. And it just seemed very wide open. And this album seems like a very wide open album of just influence after influence after influence. Um and, and even to the point where I, I you know, I, I always make a note of the fact that about three minutes into Twilight, uh, Twilight Ball, they literally have a Andy Rourke Smith's bass breakdown. It just goes right into something that sounds like it would be in a Smith song. And I think at that point I was like, oh, man, this is fantastic, you know, and 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 so every other song on the album bringing something different uh, to it. Uh, you know, it's one of those albums I just never really forgot, even though, like we've been talking about, it really went nowhere and it's impossible to really find much information out about it. But every time somebody uh, mentions it online, it's usually with some sort of affection for it. Um, you, you don't really hear too many people that know of it bash it, um, which is kind of cool. But yeah, uh, you know, for me, most of the songs work for some for some reason or another there's something I, even the ones that i don't maybe like as much it, it it'll switch uh a tempo it'll throw in an instrument and all of a sudden you know that bit of the song reconnects me to it and so it's not an album that i skip through the tracks all that often uh for but of course you know twilight ball ghetto um um 4 a.m hikes uh traveling mary i wanna uh, even Mr. Hello, 
you know, uh, with the psychedelic kind of vibe that that song has. like that from song to song you're getting something you know quite different and yet all in sounding with what this band was trying to do i, I want to touch on that piano for a minute because i think in a song like traveling that's a really cool use of piano um that was unexpected because it's a very dramatic sort of inclusion there it's not like a single note or something like you would think that would be more simplistic. Um, so that caught me off guard. I thought that was cool. It's a strong m melody and melodic concept. It's not just like, hey, yeah. we're going to add a layer of noodling piano or you know, put some piano undertones on the song. It is like, this is a melodic idea that we're going to use piano to like really emphasize and deliver, which I appreciate too. I dug that. Some of the other ones, the I think it was, let me check my notes. Uh, American Chorus, I think that was mentioned a couple times in the comments. I like the way that th that song builds. Um, you think it's going to be this sort of like acoustic, mid-tempo-y kind of bongo song. And then it there's it starts growing and, and building and you can, you know, feel it getting bigger and bigger. And I like that aspect because a lot of this band, they like start and they they're going 100 miles an hour right out of the gate. Yeah. So to hear, have them do something with a little more drama was was a nice touch as well. Uh, um, yeah, I don't think the one song I don't think that we've mentioned or that anybody mentioned in the comments was um, I really like uh, Kitten Kabuto also. That's the song with the sitar or the guitar sounding like a sitar in the yeah. opening. It just has such a such a strange opening. You know, it's very bouncy, very catchy, but but it's like you know, weird timing. And, and um, yeah, I just think it's, you know, it catches you off guard. And, and I, I really enjoy that song a lot as well. Jay, what didn't work for you on the record? Well, so I'm not a 
I'm not a drug user, but um, <laughs> some of this album sounds more like Coke, what I would imagine cocaine to be like than hash. <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot. It's very punchy. The drums can be very busy, um, splashy, a lot of kick drum. I mean, I love kick drum and I love bands that, you know, really emphasize and, and, and use kick drum. Um, but it's distracting sometimes, uh, just how punchy and splashy and present the drums are, particularly like where in there, when they're in more of that funk sound, I think I, I hear the singer struggling to figure out like where to fit in that, uh, with everything going on. So, you know, at times it, it can be Primus like, but I think Primus does a better job of like calming down a little bit and like getting in a groove. Um, and this band is like, it's just like the tempo is just a little too fast or something. Um, so, you know, the, f- the first, it really takes me till probably 4.30 AM hikes to where I really, the, they shift down the tempo. They get a little bit more like psychedelic and weird. And that's where it starts to work for me before that. There's just so much going on and so much to absorb and the tempos are so fast. Um, I find myself just push back. Uh, from from the record when I, as I first get into it, um, it's the bass is very poppy. Like I said, the kick drum is is very present. The the cymbals are splashing. I mean, Dave Abruzzi probably loves this record. I mean, he's just like <laughs> going crazy on crash cymbals <laughs> and China cymbals and like it's you know so many accents. Um, so again, when the band's in that mode, uh, that faster mode, that more funk oriented mode. Um, I just find it to be too chaotic and I can't grasp like melodically what they're doing. And I feel like the singer again, doesn't come across as well as when they slow down. And I would say probably, you know, half the record is like that um, or more uh, even some songs where, you know, they might start one way and then they shift to another, you know, when they, when they go to that element, I'm um, I don't find myself enjoying it as much. Interesting. So I think what worked for me was like the opposite. Like I liked this record when it was like a knee bouncer and I was sitting at my desk and it was just like, my knee was just bouncing to the, to the quick rhythms. And when it started to slow down is when I was less interested in what was going on. Um, For the most part, it's a, it's a mid to ump tempo record. So it wasn't not much slowed down out of a couple, besides a couple songs. I didn't, um, 4:30 a.m. hikes. I thought it was okay. Um, the the sort of like military beat that it has going on. I didn't like it. Felt sluggish to me. Some of the other record or some of the other songs. You mentioned the the sort of swing um, feel of in the grass. That kind of reminded like the Stray Cats, which yep. I didn't necessarily. It, it felt less original, like. Hmm songs like twilight ball and ghetto and and mr hello they felt more like oh this is like a really interesting original sound and um when i started to hear like the influences more solidly it became a slightly less interesting listen to me um just because you know outside i mean i talked about like funk bands in the 90s not that there was like a ton i mean you have the pit chili peppers and, you know, before that, you have like RC Mob, um, Fishbone, Fishbone, 
but there are, I mean, it's not like, you know, bands that sound like Nirvana. That's, we're not talking about the same level of yeah. similarity. Uh, so I, it, I found it, which was surprising to me that I liked it when it was really up-tempo and funky because they have a, you know, so they're so tight and the, it's really melodic that I just, I just kept in that headspace and it was, um, it really worked for me. So is there anything that doesn't work for you on the record, Eric? Any, any songs you skip? Not, not really, not, not really. Um, you know, that I think as, as we've been discussing, there's a couple of songs that maybe the, the tempo or the, the groove of it, you know, isn't as interesting um, or as original. But but for me, there always seems to no song really doesn't have a moment where it veers off into some other territory. So it, it's it's an album that I kind of put on. Um, and again, because it's not streaming anywhere, I put the CD in and I just let it play. You know, I don't really right. skip the tracks of it. Um, um, maybe if it was on Spotify or something, I might have gotten used to, you know, hitting a, a couple of songs, but for the most part, I, I put the album on, um, not when I want to hear one song or the other, but when I want to just let it play through. Uh, and there's always something on each song that, that grabs me. Um, because again, it's such a, such the influences of it seem so diverse that it can be maybe tiring for some people, but I, I really enjoy, uh, enjoy that about it. I was thinking about, you know, this came out on Electra which I mentioned was a big deal. I mean, they, they weren't a small label and it comes out in 93, which we talked about, you know, based on that comp I mentioned earlier was, uh, it was a weird time. I mean, this is, you still have the intersection of, of, um, of pop and indie and alternative and all these different things and grunge are all sort of happening at the same time. I mean, Guns N' Roses is still a big band in 93. They're still putting out record singles from Use Your Illusion. So there's like, there's a whole bunch of stew of things happening. Um, is there any place outside of college radio? Is that really the, like it in terms of people finding this band? Like you, Jay, you mentioned about the record label probably throwing up their hams when they got the record trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, I couldn't think of like how this, what, how this would fit in the format that's playing, you know, Allison Chains Dirt and is playing Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger and Pearl Jam's on their second record at this point with verses. Like Th this feels like, um, they would have to be a great live band and build a great live following. Like you yeah. mentioned 311, like I could see them having a career like 311, like maybe at some point in their catalog they have a song that's a radio hit but it takes maybe three or four records to get there but largely like they've built a career on a great of following people who love go to see live music love to see great musicians you know and they do some eclectic stuff it kind of fits in the jam band category like you know you can kind of move around a lot um in that genre and still have a loyal fan base and career so i could see it band like this going in that direction but not a consistent radio you know band no yeah. I, I actually agree with that i think if i had seen this band open for 311 on one of those first two you know the tours of those first two albums where well, I, I probably saw 311 six or seven times on those first two albums because they came through new york quite a lot uh I, I think a band like this would have fit in perfect with the crowd 
at that time for that for the you know uh, for this type of music. And then you know maybe they don't have a radio hit, maybe they do on like you said the third or fourth album. But I think they could have built a fan base that would have sustained them, you know, given this this kind of eclectic uh, sound. Probably could have sustained them if they had stayed together, if they had toured somewhat constantly in the way that jam bands do, uh, you know, they could have, they could have held on to a career, uh, I'm guessing, um, which, you know, that, that, that's an interesting alternate history for this band. Cause I don't know where any of these guys are now, really, other than that obscure 417 Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> they could have, I could hear this band touring with Blind Melon, <laughs> you know, obviously, set aside the Shannon Hoon, you know, story, but like where the trajectory of that band was going, this band could have, you know, followed a similar path. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bands that didn't have consistent radio success, but found careers and mostly through, like, like you said, you just got to commit to touring all the time and playing live all the time. Yeah. Well, let's get into our rating on this record we have our votes in at patreon we'll uh reveal the results of the poll from our patreon voters but jay where do you land were the album better ep or decent single i landed a better ep i i like the second half of the record starting with 4 4 30 a.m hikes kit and caboodle in the grass orchard moons traveling and american chorus um, so one, two, three, four, five, six, about six, six songs or so. Um, I think it takes me that long every time I listen to this record to really get into it and like understand what's going on. Uh, but yeah, that's, that would be my EP. Um, I would be, I think I'd be at a better EP, but it'd be, I mean, this is, what is this? 14 songs. So I'd be like half the record with twilight ball, ghetto, Mr. Hello. I forgot my blanket. Um, let's see. Uh, traveling. Uh, American Chorus. My I See Death. And what was the other one? Uh, oh, I'm down. I, I I think I'd be at those seven for my for my That's seven or eight or eight. Is that eight? Seven or eight? One, two, That's three. an album, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> there you go so i i'm on the teetering point of a worthy of a buttery well, peanut worthy album eric get in there work him over you might be able to get an album out of him <laughs> yeah exactly he was, i, I worked like, jay down on a, a i worked jay down on live so uh, hey hey you, oh, hey you can lobby us we're human beings we're open yeah, we're right. open okay I'll, I'll say it's a it's a worthy album of eight songs right there you go right. A pre-CD worthy album, you know, and yes. an eight songs long, yeah. Yes, and and I'm going to assume that this is a worthy album for you, sir? Oh, yeah, no, de- definitely. And and again, it, you know, for me, it, it, it sits in that kind of weird, rarefied air of these of these 90s albums that, that you know, seem so of their time um, and, and, you know, kind of magical in their own weird way, like like you guys are saying, these dollar bin albums or something that only a handful of people know and appreciate. Um, and and yet you put it on now and you'd be hard pressed to maybe uh, maybe figure out when it was made. You know, uh, I, I really enjoy albums like that quite a lot, quite a lot. Well, at our uh, Patreon poll, the results are 80-20, 
better EP to decent single. So, uh, you know, we had some people who abstained because they didn't feel that they could uh, chime in on this one. But that's an overwhelming victory for better EP, which, again, on a 14 song album, that's that's not bad. I mean, uh, I think Whitney had what, like six songs and Steven, I think, had six or seven songs. So those are that's a pretty solid um pretty solid uh set of songs from from both of them this is uh, i'll be honest i like this better than the live album we just listened to not long ago so. <laughs> I, it wasn't as dour and and uh ridiculous well, you're welcome sir <laughs> tim's uh, endorsement this is much better than throwing copper yes I don't know what you fools have been listening to for the last 25 years, but throw co- throwing copper, throw it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that sold how many copies? You know, that's what I'm saying. Like 8 million. Alternate history of the 90s that could be written if just certain bands, you know, had one break happen for them and other bands who blew up maybe stumbled in, in one way or another and things never really panned out. Um, yep. That's the weirdness of the 90s for me. Well, Eric, thank you for bringing this to us. This is truly one of the uh, the '90s records that we were never going to find until somebody brought it to us. So, thank you. Absolutely. Yes, we um, would have never found a band called Hash. We <laughs> <laughs> created an album called Hash. Had <laughs> yeah. you not like pointed it out and put a giant yellow highlight marker around it. <laughs> exactly. so I, like our, our logo for the, for the podcast is a shovel, but I feel like on this one, we, we pulled out like an oil derrick. Yeah. yeah. And we were drilling. The, yeah, this existed. It's amazing. It's funny. You said I, I, I had to look up the album cover, but I have the Neverland album also. There you go. Yep, yep. <laughs> I have that album. I was like, oh, yeah. As soon as you said that, yep. I, like, I have that album. I looked up the album cover while we were talking. Uh, yeah, I, I have that record. So, yeah, there's, a, right. there's another there's another album. I would love to do it, you know, next year uh, by a band called Menthol. Um, oh. They, you know that record? Well, it's come up in the poll. Oh, OK. Well, the yeah, first lo- record or the second record? I, I don't know. Jay would have to check the archives on that. Mm-hmm. You're, okay. uh, why do that? Why don't you fix your mic so you can finish the show? Better. There you go. Okay. I, I lost you guys for a minute there. After you said oil, Derek, uh, it went it went dark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this album is not a shovel. This is like an oil, Derek, or a drill. We're going yes. 100, 100 feet Below the this surface. is when they, they aim the they they I learned that uh, when you drill for oil you you put a stick of dynamite and then you you use a, a computer or some sort of device to when it when it goes off there the sound wave goes down into the earth and based on what sort of material it hits the sound wave bounces back differently and that's how you find right. oil. Very well, exciting stuff we're learning here. The, the, the sound wave was twilight ball this time. There you go. <laughs> What, what what was the uh, menthol album, Jay? That we uh, I'm not seeing it. Really? Yeah, menthol. M e n t h o l. Uh huh. I think the first album's kind of got a greenish cover, and it was self titled. And the second album, which took many years after the fact to come out, I don't even know if it got just dumped into the market, was called Danger Rock Science. But it's nowhere near as good as the first album. Huh. 
Interesting. Maybe I'm mixing yeah. them up, but uh, I've I know that band name. Yeah. I remember yeah. the name. And again, uh, you know, I I saw them open for the British band Gene at the Limelight. Totally, like, completely two different bands. I don't know what the hell they were doing on that, on that, you know, bill. But um, I thought they were fantastic. And again, the, the album seemed to really go nowhere. But it's just such a cool album. I I, I would definitely pick that album next time. I, I put that right in the same pocket as this this hash album. Totally different sound, but very. Uh, you know, just an interesting album that, you know, is is forever cemented in, in the 90s for sure. All right. Well, I am going to wrap things up for us here and say if you would like to suggest an album, uh, you can go over to digmeoutpodcast.com and go to our suggest an album page. You put in the name of the album, the uh, artist, tell us why you're picking it, and it'll go into our hopper every month. Nine albums go to our Patreon community to vote on for review we have 12 of those a year and of course if you would like to just pick a record you can go to patreon and become a become a patron uh or you can just do it for you know two bucks get a sticker maybe you get a cool uh little prize with that little bonus a little extra uh little card little maybe you get a prince card maybe you'll get a kim appleby card you never know all sorts of magic happens when we send those cards out at random uh so martika Martika, that's another one. Everybody, everybody remembers Toy Story. I, uh, I found Menthol. It yeah. was the self-titled Menthol album mm-hmm. from okay. Nate Beckman, March 2019. There you go. Okay. A couple of years ago. Spreadsheets. Love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Patreon is also where you can read uh, the box newsletter. You can also subscribe to it by going to digmeoutpodcast.com every week, delivered to your inbox. New reviews of music, movies, and books relevant to the 90s uh, and 80s. And then, of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.